Welcome to the Fish Nerds. It's a celebration of fish, fishing, and eating, guess what, fish. That's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Nick Pavlidis from 5 Minutes with Dad and Confessions of a Terrible Husband, Lessons Learned from My Lumpy Couch, and here are the nerds. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the Fish Nerds Podcast. And I am Doc Martin. (laughs) Doc, we're so happy to have you back. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a lot of show change. We, we lost uh, poor Dave. Uh, I know. He's not dead. Right. Just, just, <laughs> just dead to me. And, oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we still talk every day on the phone. I'm still his bestie. Uh, oh. Yeah, we don't hold hands anymore. That's weird. But we're still good oh. friends. <laughs> so, so how have you been? I've been insanely busy, but but good. <laughs> you're, you're a big-time college professor, right? <laughs> I don't know about big time, uh, but I do teach at a college. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, do your do your students like you? Or are you really hard on them? Um, well, both, both actually. Yeah. Both um, so yeah. I think that I have really high expectations, mm-hmm. but I also have a lot of confidence that my students are able to do the things that I ask them to do, and I like to help them do that. Um, I'm one of those. I don't know. Optimists, I guess. <laughs> I, I, well, I think I think anyone who's a teacher probably, in, at least when they start off, they start off as optimists. I mean, it's not. It's like fishing. It's you don't do it <laughs> if you don't want to be successful at it. You know, it, like if you're fishing, that, that's you wouldn't true. you wouldn't bait a hook and throw it in a giant body of water and hope for a fish if you were a negative thinker. And fishing, same thing. You're you're just baiting with information and hoping people bite that information and get it. So. That, I think it's that's very a fantastic sport. metaphor. I uh, really dig that. Been <laughs> <laughs> writing, uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad to have you back. And uh, I I put it out on Facebook and uh, the Fish Nerds Facebook page last night that you were yes. coming on, and people got excited about it. Well, yay! That's nice to hear. <laughs> and prior and prior to that, I've been getting a lot of people just kind of here and there saying, "Hey, when's Doc coming back on? We need the Doc, you know." And we need someone smarter than you, Clay. Please, can you get someone smarter than you? And so here you are. Oh well, here I am. Yeah. All right. Before we get started, no pressure. Before we get too deep in, how okay. can people find you if they want to get on Twitter or whatever and talk to you? Where do they find you? Sure. So I am on Twitter and I am at fishdocm, um, or I'm also on the uh, Fish Nerds podcast Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah, and you're one of our admins as well, so you, you're easy, yep. you're easy to find and easy peasy. And there's links at fishners.com <laughs> for all that stuff. But let's get right into the meat here. So we got phone calls for you. Okay. And I should say in advance is you didn't get to preview these phone calls, so we're gonna just hit I these running. But this is uh, <laughs> the doctor is in, and you're making house calls. So I'm gonna play this, and hopefully this works out. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. And if you want to call into the show, you can call 607-378-FISH and leave voicemails, and we always use them. Not always. Usually use them. <laughs> hey, Clay. Hey, Doc Martin. This is Brian McGilver from Des Moines, Iowa, and I've got a crappy, I mean, crappie question for you. Sometimes when you catch a uh, black or white crappie and you hook them in the mouth area, sometimes when you go to remove if not all the time, when you go to move remove the hook from the mouth. I know sometimes you can tear a hole in that membrane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's why they call them paper mouths. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, does that membrane ever kind of regenerate or grow back? I'd really love to hear the answer. Thanks, guys. 
All right, Doc. What's the answer? <laughs> All right. Well, that's an awesome question. Um, and the answer, uh, like most things in, in science, is it kind of depends on the extent of the damage. Um, if it's, you know, kind of an, a little tear where the hook kind of comes in and out, yes, it can heal. But if it's a, a messy hook uh, with some pretty extensive damage, then it might be a permanent hole. So, um you know, it's kind of like piercing your ears, I guess. <laughs> Some people get those weird gauges in there, and then they don't ever grow back to normal. <laughs> yeah, and it, that's about my uh, experience, too. I, I, I actually did a little research on this this morning because I wanted to impress you. Oh, all right. And it, Was it, I right? No, did, I, did I do it right? <laughs> no, I, I couldn't find any research. I, I couldn't find really? anything. All I found was a lot of anecdotal stuff from fishermen. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's it's hard to weed through that stuff. It, there's a lot of that, and the general consensus in the fishing world is, who cares, keep fishing, <laughs> uh, which is not the answer we're looking for. But it, No, or, that's not a good answer. And not, and not helpful either. <laughs> right. So uh, I, th I think it's worth following up on. I'm going to keep digging on this one. And, Doc, if you yeah. find anything in your, in your, in your, when you go forward here and you see anything, let us know. But, well, and I would like to add one thing, if I, if I may. Um, about the, the who cares, let's fish anyway. So yes, please do fish. But um, let's imagine that you are walking around in uh, on a rink, for example, and someone comes up with a really nice cupcake mm -hmm. and you go to take the cupcake and then they punch you in the face. Oh. Um, <laughs> how many times are you going to go for a cupcake? You see what I'm getting at yeah, here? <laughs> I, for me, it's about 15 Okay, so yeah. me, I really, I, I'm, I really I'm not really like into cupcakes, cupcakes yeah. so. <laughs> so. So you're but, talking about uh, conditioning. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did see a lot of information on lots of condition response stuff for fish. And you see that with the, a lot of fish and lure manufacturers. We'll talk about how you need to switch your lures a lot because they get conditioned mm -hmm. to recognize things that hurt them. Yes, and the, and some fish can recognize you, the fisherman. Ha -ha. Oh, so we should wear disguises. At, well, it is Halloween, so you might as well get those masks out and put them to use all year round. <laughs> I, I know it's funny you say that because this show is being released on Halloween. <laughs> so it's oh, perfect. really? Yeah. <laughs> How perfect. But you know, that's a great, great idea. So the day after Halloween, so tomorrow, the day after you hear the show, go mm -hmm. out and buy the 50% off Halloween merchandise and start dressing up to go fishing. I think that's a great idea. Are you, are you dressing up for Halloween this year, Clay? I've got small children. I have to dress up. That's, there's, Ooh, what? There's, there's rules. What's your costume? Uh, I I usually decide last minute. Last year I was a, a baboon scientist. Like you were a baboon that is a scientist or a scientist that studied baboons? So you think <laughs> more like my six-year-old and I like that about you. No, I was like a, I had a lab coat and I walked around the baboon skull. And, okay, gotcha. <laughs> and crazy hair. So, uh, I, I, it could have gone either way. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a baboon skull at an auction on accident and so now I have this skull. Uh, that's really cool looking, but I don't know, have any use for it except for Halloween. I don't think I've ever heard anyone buy a baboon skull on accident before. Yeah, it was a, it, it was some <laughs> bunch of I, I I like to go to auctions and I just bid on stuff nobody wants. So for like a buck, I got this giant box of stuff. It was all garbage, but in the bottom of it was this baboon skull. Yeah. All right. Yeah. A, tr a secret treasure. It's really <laughs> it's really cool, and there's a bullet hole in it. So I feel terrible like that I paid someone for it. Even if oh, it's dollar, wow. but it, it, you know, what am I going to throw it away now? <laughs> so it's I, I, I wouldn't. I'd no, keep it. It's way cool, <laughs> right? All right. 
Next question. Okay. And this, yes. this, uh, I, I don't know if you heard last week's show, but, um, I, I heard most of it okay. on my commute down. Yes. All right. Well, here, take a listen to this. Okay. It's coming. I'm ready. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Clay. Hey, doc. This is amazing. James. And I have a question for the doc. I really want to know, is a fish a vegetable? <laughs> I just, I, I'm in suspense from last week. Please, please answer my question. <laughs> Thanks. That's uh, such a great question. <laughs> a question. Now, that was the theme of last week's show. We, we brought yes, that up because yes. of that cancer study. And then you <laughs> called in with this great answer. But you left on our voicemail, and our voicemail only has a certain amount of time before it cuts you off. Yes, I uh, realized that very quickly. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but it made for great show content. But the amazing James, who's part of our F and West uh, correspondence crew out in California, uh, he really needs to know this answer. So what do you think? Okay, so <laughs> um, is a fish a vegetable? Well, uh, it, there's a, I just love it. So what is a vegetable, right? right? Um, and everyone thinks they know already. It's like, oh, well, duh. Every, I know what a vegetable is. Um, so the tomato is like the classic example of people used to think it's a vegetable, but it's, it's not, it's technically a fruit. Right. And so what is a fruit or a vegetable actually depends on, on part of the plant that that thing is made out of. Right. So if so you're if eating it, a tomato uh, mm -hmm. leaf, that would be vegetable. Well, no, that's a leaf. <laughs> that's a, okay. <laughs> if you were eating the stem of the tomato plant. That'd be a, well, I mean, it, it'd be a stem, uh -huh. I guess, but it's not really like a modified stem or a modified leaf. Oh, I, For I'm, example, I'm like, you now. okay, yeah, like carrots are roots but they're like a modified root right it's a right. particular type of root not just any root right so there's a little bit of some gray area there i hear you but i think my favorite um well, well what do you think let's you want to you want to play a game with me clay yeah let's play and and i got a couple i'm gonna throw in as well okay so uh, we're gonna guess fruit or vegetable okay okay olives olives are a fruit olives are a fruit yeah very right. good. I'm impressed that someone ever figured out how to eat those things. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, without the pimento, they have that big old rock in the middle there that's not so great. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I don't like olives. Just, what? Yeah, if you're shopping for me for Christmas, don't get me fancy olives. Way no fancy olives. Yep. Oh, man. I they're mind, great. I don't mind some black <laughs> olives on pizza or something, but, uh, you know, terrible. I eat olives out of the jar. Well, you're so. smarter than me, and that is <laughs> probably the right way to do it. <laughs> All right, next one. Okay. Um, peas. Peas are a fruit. Peas are a fruit. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right. Let's do beets. Ooh, that, yeah, it's a modified root, right? Like a I, don't, I don't know, is it? Like a carrot. <laughs> oh, don't do this to me. Now, uh, yeah, is it like a rhizome? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's a, I'm going to go with vegetable. You are correct. Yeah. It is a vegetable. Yeah. What about... Nuts. Ah, see, this was last week, and it's there's some variability within the nuts world. <laughs> uh huh. And I don't know the answer. I think some of them are modified roots, which I would think of more as vegetables, right? Like peanuts, most, and that sort, of, sort of thing. So most nuts are fruits, actually. Wow. 
But some things that we call nuts, like if, at the grocery store, are seeds. Right. And so that just depends on what part of the actual plant you're eating. If you're eating like the shell, um, then it would be a fruit. But if you're, eat, you're actually breaking it open to eat that inner part, then that would be the seed. Okay. So like, that makes sense to me. All right. All right. So very good. Very ability. How about um, bananas? Bananas? Uh-huh. Uh, it always reminds me of Gwen Stefani, right? B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Uh, so, okay. Um, <laughs> not, a, not a Gwen Stefani fan? I, I am. I just don't know that one. Oh, I'm well, that, that was no, it was when she a, was in No Doubt. Yeah, I am an early, yeah, early <laughs> adopter of No Doubt. <laughs> so, what do you think? Oh, bananas, well, they have seeds, mm-hmm. and they're fleshy, so I'm going to go with a fruit. They are an herb. An herb? Yeah, they are, they are an herb, not a true fruit. Not yeah. a true fruit. Yeah, same thing with kiwis. Uh, have you, oops, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just wondering, have you ever had, because bananas have been so genetically modified that the bananas we have now are completely different from how bananas used to be. I know, isn't that cool? Have you ever had an old school banana? I've seen them, uh, but I've never eaten them. Have you had them? I I have. I went down um, to Puerto Rico a couple years ago, and they had some in a little basket at the place that I stayed at. And I was like, oh, sweet, banana, awesome. So I peel it, and I take a bite out of it, and it's full of seeds that were crunchy. Really? Mm-hmm. It was very difficult. Was it tasty? I mean, it, it still tasted like a banana. Yeah. But it was like way smaller and just crunchier. Yeah, I mean, we should we should be so happy for GMO food. <laughs> they make everything yummy. We've learned well, how to make food. That good. depends. Yeah. So some of the tomatoes actually, mm-hmm. uh, there's been an argument. I don't know what camp is sit on and how much scientific evidence there is, particularly for this, but the GMO has actually lost flavor in some. Things like tomatoes. Ah, has it? Was it? What is it? You know, is it a lost flavor but gained something else like longevity, shelf uh, life? Yep. Uh, That's exactly correct. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. there it is. So there it is. It's, it's, <laughs> you no, know, you, you win and lose, right? In all these games. But always, uh, I think without <laughs> I think without GMOs, we would have a lot more starving people around. Oh well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at go to your grocery store. Uh, all that stuff would go bad. I mean, very very quickly. Yeah, it wouldn't even make it to the shelf. So. Yep. Cool. All right. Good. Well, hey, nice job on those phone calls. You handled yourself well. And did we answer the question? <laughs> Our fruit. Oh, no, we didn't even answer the question yet. We All didn't. Right. So we we know what's not a vegetable. We know that. Yep. Tomatoes are not a vegetable, and bananas yep. are not vegetables. And mm-hmm. um, now, when you fish eat a lot of vegetables, a lot of vegetables are eaten by fish, and you are what mm-hmm. you eat. So therefore, fish are in fact vegetables. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Every, every year I just uh, dig a hole in the ground. I plant some, some row in the holes and I wait. Yeah, that's that's exactly how that works. Yeah. I think that's where fish come from. Don't you? You plant them and then they grow and then as they the the tree of fish ripens, they drop off uh, and swim in, away in the stream. Right. And if you're going to bring them to market, <laughs> you want to pick them before they're ripe. So you pick them at the smolt stage and then they ripen. Uh, right in, at the at the market, <laughs> so yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> that, that's not helpful. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's not a serious question. I mean, it, honestly, I'm, people should. <laughs> right? Know, yeah, this exactly. Is, this, this is, is making fun of sarcasm. <laughs> this is making fun of uh, the pescatarians who claim to be veg- vegetarians. A little bit, and, and a little bit, and 
they're not even true pescatarians because they're not just eating fish. Like I think if oh, you're going to be yeah. a, a pescivore, then that's all you eat, right? And, well, a piscivore. Yeah. Piscivore. If you're piscivorous, Pisciv- oh, yeah. pescivore. I've been saying it wrong all these years. No, I think there's it's a difference. Okay. Um, pescivore, I think, is kind of specifically for those vegetarians that eat fish, and piscivore is the scientific term for fish that eat other fish. Got it. Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> Little I, tangent there. But you know, it, it's for me as as a as a person uh, to be pigeonholed into eating any one thing is bizarre because we have the ability to eat so many kinds of things. I get you know not wanting to eat meat or wanting to be mostly vegetarian or whatever. But man, we eat such a variety of stuff. Even vegetarians don't eat just vegetables, right? They're eating fruit and they're eating right mushrooms, which and they're eating nuts and seeds, nuts and seeds, and they're eating mm-hmm. um, they're eating seaweed, which is not a vegetable, right? Correct, not a vegetable. Right, seaweed is a uh, 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 protist. Very good. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> I know. So we're eating all kinds of not vegetable things. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so uh, fish, not vegetables. Can we agree to that? Not vegetables. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Let's put that to rest. <laughs> and if you are eating fish, you are not a vegetarian. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm, no. I'm Although you're probably making a pretty good health decision. <laughs> a great, and, and according to that study last week, if you are a mostly vegetarian and you add fish to your diet, you got a 40% reduction in risk of cancers, of all the cancers they listed there, which is crazy. A lot of that has to do with the omega 3s. Is that correct? It was omega 3s and the fish proteins. It wasn't just and the proteins, so yeah. sure, yeah, yeah, it wasn't just that. So uh, I say uh, that seems to me, according to that study, if we just narrow it down to that one thing, mostly vegetable, plant based diet, plant based diet makes more sense than vegetarian, uh, and add some fish protein in, and you're going to win. There you go, and you can even make sure it's ecologically sustainable. You can even <laughs> do that. Yeah, excuse my phone here. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Shoot, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, I had to choose obnoxious phone rings because I don't hear my phone ring anymore. So, Aha. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, so let's talk about uh, fishing in education. You do, you're a teacher, yeah. you're a college professor, but you've been working mm-hmm. with a lot of kids lately. Yeah, I do um, all sorts of volunteering um, around the eastern part of Kansas we have to go with to Kansas. all age groups. We have to go to Kansas to hang out with you and get educated by you. I know. It's a bummer. I know. The rest <laughs> of the country is really in trouble. Uh, now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of the presidential election, or because I'm in Kansas? <laughs> because you're in Kansas, we can't be educated by you and make better choices in our lives. Oh, maybe I should start a YouTube video uh, channel. It would do well. <laughs> you probably make a lot of money, so yeah, I could cash in all those YouTube likes. <laughs> uh, there, yeah. Well, I, I could tell you some stories later, but it's possible. <laughs> oh, I anyway, have no idea. It really, it's, it's a thing. It's a real thing. But anyway, oh. let's talk about your education with kids. Sure. Yeah. Um, so let's see. We'll start with the younger kids. Um, for the last three and a half to four years, uh, I do once or twice a month visits um, where I do instructional things. Like we talk about snowflakes and how snowflakes are made. And then we actually make snowflakes uh, hands-on in these uh, it's an after-school program with the Wonder Workshop Children's Museum um, in Manhattan. And that's kids age 6 through 11. Oh, that's cool. Now, you're working after-school. My, my day job is director of, of after-school programming. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so it's really funny. It, it's funny how like similar all of us fish nerds can be, you know, when you really kind of dig down a little bit. 
So we're all do we all like the same kind of things. We all like the same <laughs> kind of things. Yeah, teaching kids and fishing. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I've been doing that for uh, several years now. Like I said, and I I really enjoy that. Um, the very first one I did, obviously, was on native fishes in Kansas uh, with the kids. I brought a bunch of pictures. I sained up some fish um, from the Kansas River and some other local tributaries. And I set up a little aquarium and we talked about native diversity and um, how you can tell a lot about where a fish lives based on how it looks, which I always think, especially kids, really enjoy. Um, And just that uh, no, this week, gosh, I don't know what time it is anymore. <laughs> um, on Tuesday, I was um, at the middle school um, in Emporia, and I did a little spiel there about native Kansas fish, and I got the Brook Silverside. Are you familiar with that one? No. Okay, so you Google the Brook Silverside. It's a really cool-looking fish. Um, it's got two dorsal fins. That's pretty unique um, for a freshwater fish. Now, you might say, oh, but the centrarchids, they have two dorsal uh, fins. I was yeah, about but- to say that. <laughs> yeah. oh. But those are connected. No, yeah. The Brook- mm-hmm. I'm, looking Go ahead, at, I'm looking at a picture of this thing right now, and it, it's way different. It reminds, yes. Yeah, wow, it smokes. Like, two yeah. distinct dorsals. And, and they're really small fish, so they're only a few inches long, and they're like, I mean, streamlined torpedoes. Yeah, they're skinny like barracuda. Even their mouths are like this mm-hmm. same barracuda shape. Yep. 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 And so I, I got one of those um, out of the Cottonwood River out here, uh, and, well, among other things. And the students were looking at them, and they're about you know 12 years old or so, and they – kept asking they're like why is it upside down why is this fish upside down are you sure it's not right it's not upside down and it was just amazing now i'm looking (laughs) at that fish and i'm turning my head over Uh uh-huh it totally should be the other way yep the the kids are right my phone is just going crazy uh (laughs) wreck the whole show the kids are right yeah i I never record during the daytime so this is uh Par, oh, that's all right. Par for course. Here. <laughs> uh, the kids are totally right. That fish is upside down. Yeah. I mean, it's not, but it looks like it should but be. When you turn it over, so when you look at it upside right, it has a sad face. Mm-hmm. And then you turn it over and it's happy. <laughs> so I think it belongs the other way. Just so it could be happier. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I can agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, you know, so I, I, I just think that's awesome to do things like that. And the the other cool thing is a lot of adults will show up also, the teachers that are in the classrooms or in the after-school programs. Some of the parents will show up early to come get their kids, and they stay. Uh, and they'll just listen to me, and sometimes they'll even ask questions. And, um, you know, I, I usually work with smaller fishes, so darters and minnows and things like that, things that a lot of people, you know, don't really see uh, details. They're just bait fish or whatever. Well, and you- it's interesting you say that uh, because, because it's one of those things I'm always trying to push people on to is like pay attention to, mm-hmm. the, to, the, to the forage fish, to the, to the micro fish or whatever. Um, yep. How many – like diversity out where you are in Kansas is, is mm-hmm. big, right? How many species of fish roughly do you guys have out there? Freshwater. Well, it's all freshwater. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, 
Kansas. We, we do have water out here, yeah. which is apparently surprising to some folks that, that aren't in Kansas. <laughs> um, we just have tornadoes here in Kansas. <laughs> we also do have tornadoes. I had one near uh, about 20 miles from my house a few weeks ago, so that was a little scary. <laughs> oh, no thanks. Well, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so roughly. I think it's about 300. That's a lot, right? That's I, I, that's I feel a, like that's a yeah. good number. I mean, New Hampshire, we're you know we're less than fifty species of fish here. So I hear really, from, yeah, there's forty eight uh, species of fish in New Hampshire. Are you kidding me? No, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. Yep. yep. Huh. Yeah, it's 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 very. Uh, it's because of the way that when the glaciers came through uh, ten thousand years ago, they pretty near wiped out all the everything, unless the fish could migrate to the ocean or burrow down the mud and kind of hibernate for a long time, they were out of luck. Long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we did get um, yeah. some glacier action here, but it'd be only up in the very northeast corner of the state, and the rest of the state was pretty much missed by that. Yeah, so. well, and I should clarify, there's not 48 native species. We're, we have less, probably less than a dozen native fish. Oh, so a lot of those are introduced. Holy almost, moly. Almost every fish in New Hampshire is introduced species. Yeah, that's the majority. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of sad almost. It, it I feel is. bad. It is. Sure. Although I was listening to an interview with Peter Moyle, you know, Dr. Moyle. I do. Well, I've read a lot of his things, but we've never met in person. Well, he, he was he was on the show last year and, and yes. uh, fish guy um, Josh gets to work with him, which is cool. But mm -hmm. I was listening to an interview with him, and he it makes a case that after a while, it's okay to call introduced fish natives. You know, they're part mm -hmm. of the ecosystem. They've been around for, you know, 100 years already. At yep. some point, they're just part of your place, which, mm -hmm. which we don't normally do. We usually always, you know, always segregate our fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've and I've heard that argument too, and I agree. And because it gets at the root of a question of when you're trying to make you know preserve and bring things back to the pristine conditions before a lot of you know human impacts, how far back do you go? Right, and do some fish maybe maybe they're just not meant to be around anymore? <laughs> maybe we've yep. already ruined that plan. It's just not going to happen. Was so. it um, Carl Sagan? that said, oh, maybe, I think maybe Carl Sagan, um, extinction is the norm mm -hmm. and survival is rare. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Uh, it's close mm -hmm. to that anyway. So, uh, yeah, close for, to that. So, yeah, for sure. And I always make the case that, that we shouldn't have pandas anymore on Earth. Oh, <laughs> I know. You're making so many people sad because they're know, so cute. But, but you know what, <laughs> they're terrible at making new pandas. Well, I mean, you can make that case for a lot of big fish. Yeah, and I would, and I would probably agree with that as well. <laughs> like the Greenland shark. Ah, uh, well, they're so cute. Ah. Yeah, you got me. You got me on that one. <laughs> That's an awesome fish, but they're terrible at making new ones. Also, because they live for four hundred years or whatever. <laughs> so, wow. uh, if if you were talking to, and this, by the way, this show, it's it might get played to some kids because there some kids are going to be on it soon today. Uh, oh, cool. Coming up. Uh, what advice do you have to teachers as they mm -hmm. approach uh, kids who want to teach about native fish or diversity of fishes? What's a good approach they can take? Like, how can they engage kids in learning about fish? If it's possible, hands on. Take 
to a stream. Um, there's usually a local like DNR or wildlife something or university or college nearby. Um, and if you as a teacher might not know what the rules are for getting access to a lake or river um, or how to sample, there are people near you you probably just haven't seen that know how to do that. Not only, um, and not you only can do they know permission. how to do it, but they're dying for you to call them and ask them, can you show me something? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I sit in my office all the time and someone will send me an email or, you know, a phone call or something and ask me, well, Hey, you know, I hate to, I know you're so busy, but would you do this? And I'm like, I will literally drop everything I'm doing for a chance to jump in the river and grab some fish for kids. Like hands down. That is the epitome of why I am a teacher. Yeah. It's way fun. And, and I've, I've yeah. been fishing with teach for you. Uh, screw I've been <laughs> fishing with, I've been fishing. I've been teaching with fish for <laughs> years. Uh, and I, I cut my teeth uh, teaching in after school, a program called Adopt a Salmon. And I didn't know anything about fish. And I took this curriculum on where we raise salmon in the classroom and release them. And most states have a program through the state DNR or fishing game or whatever, where you can raise uh, trout in the classroom and, and start there. And then the, the interest grows from that point. And I always talked about fish as like the, the cuddly thing. Like they're like Bambi. They're super, super cute. Mm-hmm. And that's what attracts <laughs> people. And then you use the fish to teach about uh, diversity, stream ecology, uh, watershed management. Everything else comes on the back of the fish. And the fish yep. are what draws you in. And you always win with live animals. Oh, always. Yeah. So that's kind of mm-hmm. I, that's my kind of tone on it. But it's totally cool. And you should put fish in your classrooms. I think everyone needs fish in their classrooms. I agree. <laughs> ah, I like Native fish in your classrooms are even better. <laughs> even better, talk to your state about what's legal before you just grab them. <laughs> yes, and that's actually a, a great comment. Um, the middle school where I went to lecture, um, the teacher didn't know too much about fish or whatever, but he knew we had some special fish here in Kansas, one of which is the Topeka Shiner. And another one that he mentioned was the Silver Chub. Um, and if you're not familiar with those, uh, they're really beautiful, tiny fish. Um, and he had accidentally told his students that I might bring some in. Well, both of those are endangered. So, uh, I told him, no, I can't just bring those in and collect them from wherever. Um, and, but that was a really great learning opportunity for not only the teacher, but also all of the students. We got to talk about why do fish get listed? What does that, what does that mean? And, you know, what is the red list, which is something that a lot of folks haven't heard of. So, so perfect. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, great. And, and, uh, are you open to people contacting you and saying, Hey doc, I got an idea. What do you think about this? And like pitching you like just conceptual ideas of teaching with fish. Yeah, absolutely. Good. That, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm always up for ideas. <laughs> yeah. And you can find doc Martin through fishnerds.com. Uh, mm-hmm. that's great. I'm so glad that you're working with kids. Cause I, to me, it seems like a perfect match for you and you're kind of people who don't know you, mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of a free spirit. You, you know, you're, you play guitar. <laughs> you're always out kayaking and fishing and hanging out with your, you have a corgi. I do. My little yeah. Lena corgi. Yes. Yeah. And, you, and you're a musician. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're such an eclectic person and, and a total fish nerd. And so any kid who gets a chance to work with you, I'm sure just like is way into whatever you're doing because you've got that <laughs> about you, which is great. I've heard, I, my uh, PhD advisor uh, used to tell me that I am the, the most persistent and energetic person he has ever met. <laughs> uh, 
You know what? And look at you. You're, you're, you're a college professor and you're like 12 years old. It's perfect. So. <laughs> a little older than 12. <laughs> but, you're, but you're young for that field. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would, that's, yeah, that's yeah. correct. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting too because I used to work at a college and I used to watch the professors and think, man, that's the job to have. Of any college job you could do or almost any job on the planet, that's the cool job. So I, I'm I, jealous of you. That's really cool. Well, well, thank you. I mean, I, I really like it because, um, well, for a lot of reasons, I get access to education and for myself, too. So I take I still take classes actively, um, usually several a year. Um, I get to travel all over places to share my research and my passion. I mean, I I don't want to rub it in people's faces, but I feel like this is pretty, pretty great for me. Right. Um, it's just a really excellent opportunity. And I'm, I'm going to use it, man. <laughs> and, and if people go, oh, Doc, you're so lucky, uh, you can correct them. You worked hard for that position. You did not, you did not <laughs> look into it. Didn't just fall in it. my lap. <laughs> no, you've got a PhD. You went to school. You studied hard. You worked. Tears you were got, shed. <laughs> you, you earned that position. You didn't get lucky at it. I, I was one of my pet peeves of, of people who work really hard and get something and get called lucky. I'm like, no. No, that's not lucky. You earned it. Uh, you earned a good one. You, you, you chose well, but it wasn't luck. Yes. So, that- <laughs> that's totally cool. Well, congratulations. All right. So, Doc, I got to go hang out with a bunch of kids and do field research uh, the other awesome. day. Awesome. Uh, and this was with Tin Mountain Conservation Center. This is a local, um, local education center here in New Hampshire. And mm-hmm. they're, they're fantastic. They run – their whole building is all solar-powered and out in the middle of the forest, and they do, they do great stuff. But oh, they're wow. doing uh, a brook trout restoration uh, project where they're going on about eight streams in the area, and they're knocking down trees and laying them across the river and creating new you know, dams and backflows and all kinds of great habitat for brook trout. And they – uh, currently, they work in all the schools in the area, including in my after-school programs. But in my daughter's school in Jackson, they got to go on a field trip and do the actual scientific measurement uh, with Tin Mountain Conservation Center. So and my daughter and I sat Oh, how cool. Yeah. So I, I took my recorder in the field, and I spent the day with them, watching them take measurements and do all the science. And uh, my daughter and I sat together and mixed up a little story on it. We tried to give it a little NPR-style treatment. Uh, one of the things was interesting was they was uh and if you listen to the piece i'm not sure you'll be able to hear it or not but if you listen for it is at some point it's a wall of noise when you're working with kids it <laughs> sounds like chaos but i was yes. <laughs> because i had headphones on and microphones i was listening to the chaos and there was about uh 14 kids on this trip and at one point all the kids were talking at one time about something different but if you listen <laughs> through the conversations each group or each kid was talking about something related to the task they were doing, but they happened to be different, doing different <laughs> taxes, uh, taxes, uh, tasks. I can't say the word tasks, taxes. <laughs> they were, they were all doing different things. Uh, and, and so like, you know, if you listen to one group, you will hear them doing measurements of the depth or the length of the river or the riffles or whatever, but they were all working and it just collectively is chaos, but individually there's so much learning happening there and it's way cool. So here's that story. My class visited White Lot Brook last week to learn about habitat for the eastern brook trout. The school bus pulled into White Lot Brook around 9.30 a.m. Miss Laurie from Tin Mountain Conservation 
was already there with Dad, Clay Groves. As we got off the bus, every kid got a clipboard with a list of things we were looking for on it. We were looking for stuff like BMI and their benthic mackerel invertebrates. Yeah, we were looking for log jams. Yep. Right? And why were they making log jams? They were making log jams to make um, good habitats for um, the benthic mackerel invertebrates. All right, who needs a clipboard? All right, next one. I'm passing out. It's an A to Z. Just take it, put it on your clipboard. Once you've taken one, can you step to the back? Please. So, the way I've uh, set this up today is we're going to do exactly what the college, the two college interns and I used to do when we would come here to do field work. So I've set it up exactly the same way. We're going to go to the very same spot because you can't collect data that is worthwhile unless you go to the very same location and you collect the same data the same way at the same spot. Okay, so we've got three spots in a thousand feet where we've collected water temperature, how fast the flow is, and where we've done habitat survey, wood surveys. So we're going to do all that on the way up. That's Mr. Fortin. He, he's leading the study on eastern brook trout. Mr. Fortin explained the tools we were using and what to expect. And then earlier this morning I brought one of those drift nets that we're going to turn into a server sampler. I brought a little frame and we're going to try to collect some uh, benthic macro invertebrates. Yes. Who can remember what the short, the short term for benthic macro invertebrate is? Insect. Starts with a B. Yeah, you got oh, it. Nice. BMI. Yeah, instead of saying benthic macroinverts, we'll just say BMIs. It's much quicker. We'll walk in first, and I'll show you some of the things I talked about, like pools and riffles, and we'll look at some of the wood additions. And the first place we have to go is 50 feet. That's our first sample site. The next sample site is 541, I think. And then the next sample is... A 980. Okay, I have it written down. Nice. And then the other thing we'll do is we have a little unit here that we attach to this, and we have a little propeller gizmo that will put in the riffle to see how fast the water is flowing past that spot. All right, so we gotta have. So we'll measure depth by sticking this in the water, and someone has to pay attention to where the water level is on the number. Okay, what numbers? You could tell by it. So, usually when we're sampling, nobody's talking because everybody has to be thinking about what they're doing. You know, nobody says, hey, what'd you do this weekend? You know, <laughs> we don't do that. Everybody has to really stay focused. And... So, then we'll have a tape measure because on these thousand foot stretches, we have a stake every hundred feet. And, and those stakes we change every four or five years so that we know exactly where the stake belongs so that we can measure our sample site from the same spot. Before we began the survey with Mr. Fortin, we had snack. Other kids tried to explain why we were here. Gemma, learning about the northeastern brook trout. Molly, learning about trout. Stephanie, we're learning about the... Brook trout. I don't know what we're doing. I don't. Abby, looking for brook trout. Lilla, 
and we're studying Brooke Trout. Uh, Ada and we are um, studying the um, changes and which um, if we add um, wood to the water and see if that makes more trout come. We're studying stream ecology. Hi. Kids got to take turn measuring the stream depth using a pole marked in feet. What is this thing called right here? This whole area. Is all a jam. So we got a nice jam right here. We got, what do we have upstream of the jam? A pool. Nice pool, real nice pool. And then we have a little bit of a waterfall right here. Cascade. And what is what is what does trout need? They need cold water, they need clean water, and then what else? Right, it's gotta be highly oxygenated, a lot of oxygen in the water. So if I was a fish, I'd be hanging out right there because it's nice and deep. Nice uh, bubbly water. One other thing that's just set up here that's created and we haven't talked about it much is when you're a fish, you want to be able to go someplace to hide. So, does anybody remember that word starts with a C? Ah, that's pretty close, camouflage. It's like when you put something on top of something else, you are covering it. Yeah, so this is covered. There's a lot of cover right here for trout. So when we come through here in electric shots, they don't hang out in the middle. They go for all these places where these little nooks and crannies that we've created where they can hide and they can get away from us. And also, if you're uh, a mink or something coming down this little stream looking for fish to eat, if you're a fish, you're going to be looking for cover, places you can hide. So, yeah. Right down, right down in here? Yeah. Right down in here is 106. 106. Wow. 1.6. Yeah, 1.6. Yeah. Yep. How much smaller does the screen get for it to be able to... Is this pretty much the smallest sprinkler that you can do? Can you go smaller than that? One foot. Oh, how do you think That's 1.1. 1.1. Mr. explained the habitat Brook Trout liked to live in. What's your first name? Uh, Finn. Finn. Finn and I decided that the riffle has two things in it. It has gravel just like the pool, but it also has a lot of these things. Cobble? I don't know. What's, what size is it? This is mostly just the ripple. Is this three to six inches in size? Yeah. Okay, what category is that? Large gravel. We found Bethnic mackerel invertebrates, or BMI. These are important because the more diverse the BMI, the healthier the water will be. Also, trout love eating these critters. If I caught it, it's in there. Yeah, I think oh, that's yeah, where is he? Right there. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can I so what is it? That's it. What Dad interviewed fifth grader Finn about BMI. This is Finn. Finn, what are we doing? We are doing BMI testing. What is it? Now, BMI is body mass index. Uh huh. No. Body mass index is how fat you are. <laughs> BMI is what? Benthic? 
Benthic. Macro. Invertebrate. Oh, yeah. And have you found any yet? No. No. Yes, actually, there is one. We just found a stone fly. Oh, really? Yeah. Then yes. Yeah, a little one. Uh, Stephanie ate it. It was delicious. Um, tastes a little like chicken uh, and a little bit like beef, but more like insects. Now, what? Why are we looking for BMIs? What good are they? Um, they are. They test. We're testing to see how many um animals, like creatures, are in the water. Oh, they take care of the water. Right. So they're food for the brook trout. Yeah, the other thing they do is a good water quality indicators, right? Mm -hmm. So if the water quality is good, you have lots of these little critters in there. Okay. We learned a lot about brook trout habitat. We had a great time. For more information on Tin Mountain Conservation's brook trout program, visit www.tinmountain.org. So, Doc, you're, are you writing a book right now? I, I'm writing two books right now. <laughs> Holy smokes. Uh, you're doing fiction or nonfiction? Um, yes. <laughs> oh, both. You got both going on. So one of them is currently in review, and that is more of a, a lab manual style book. And then the other one um, is still in prep, and that's going to be a children's book. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, that's really cool. Uh, and, and I've been trying to write a book for years and I've never, never actually done anything with it, but been trying, trying for a long time. And November is National Novel Writers Month. And, oh. and I thought it would be fun uh, to write a book in November, only I don't have time. So I'm thinking it will be fun to crowdsource a fish nerd's book. What do you think about that? I think that is a fantastic idea. I love it. So what I'm looking for is anyone listening to the show or who's on Facebook or whatever, anyone related to the fish nerds, write a 300 to no limit, not, not, don't write a whole book, but like 300 to like 3000 word fish story, send it to clay at fishnerds.com and I will curate these into the first fish nerds book of short fish stories. And I think this first theme is going to be uh, fishing adventures. So pick a story that has some adventure in it, some danger, some suspense. And we'll compile them all together. If I get 30 or 40 stories, we've got a book. And everyone who contributes will get a package of uh, Fishner's decals and a free uh, copy of the ebook when it comes out. And you get to say you're a published author. That is awesome. I hope all the fans write a story. Everybody's got some kind of crazy fishing story, I bet. They really do. And, uh, <laughs> and, and if, you're, if you're not a great writer and you need help with it, uh, maybe you record the story and send it to me uh, as a recording, and I will transcribe it and edit for you. Oh, well, there you go. I'm willing to do the work. And we've already got one story. Uh, Ryan Dubay sent a story in for us, so we've already got one. So just uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna submit a story. You should give us your whole book. <laughs> <laughs> hey now. <laughs> I know, just kidding. But uh, yeah, send a story in. It'll be really cool, and it could be one of those kind of annual traditions, or maybe quarterly. We put put a new book out. Maybe we do a book in the springtime about fishing techniques or something very specific, and oh, see cool. what we can get together. I mean, we as a fishing nation need to to be nerdier. So let's get some more books out. <laughs> So, all right, get your nerd glasses on and get your typewriters out. That's right. Oh, I love it. So yeah, we can all we're we're all going to dress like Hunter S. Thompson and write fish books. 
So Perfect. Get, get your long <laughs> cigarettes out. All right. So anyway, get those stories into clay at fishnerds.com. All right, Doc, ready for some fish in the news? I'm I'm ready. Okay. So Matt, just two stories today. Okay. And I'm going to read these and we just say what you want when you want to. Okay. Okay. I'm just pulling them up. All right. First one comes from uh, New Zealand. And I, I chose this because it's topical to our first question. We were talking about earlier about uh, fishing for crappie earlier. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about conditioning and fish. So I found this article. It was sent to us actually through the Fish Nerds Facebook page. And it was, Do Fish Learn to Avoid Flies in Lures? Ah. So isn't that nice? <laughs> how, how convenient. I know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so the basic premise of this article is that fish become conditioned to lures the more they uh, see them and they are hooked, landed, and released during this process, then the negative association is, re- is reinforced. Mm-hmm. The consequence for the angler is that the fish become harder to catch because they become wary of lures. Uh, Wagner cites experiments conducted by the pure fishing and independent researchers as well as anecdotal evidence from local charter skippers to support the hypothesis that fish become wary and hard to catch the more they see lures uh, or are hooked on lures. The, this apparently explains why kingfish around uh, White Island, this is specific to a place in uh, New Zealand, uh, are now difficult to catch, uh, more difficult to catch than when they were years ago. The argument is well constructed mm. and very persuasive. Blah, blah, blah. So um, what do you think about this? Are we conditioning fish by using the same lures over and over? I've absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I would be shocked if that wasn't a problem. I'm I'm actually shocked it's taken this long for that uh, evidence to be compiled. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, we, everyone seems to kind of know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, but it's nice. Uh, I, it's probably people have known this for a very long time, but it's nice to have that real evidence, if you will, to con- confirm our our bias. <laughs> Yeah, it totally is. Uh, and so what would you recommend to, to uh, what you know about fish and fish biology? I, and I study psychology, so together we can, we can tackle this problem. So, so you've, you've got a bunch of fish in the area. You like to fish. And for years you've been catching tons and tons of fish the same way, using a rubber worm or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, and you've been releasing the fish. And, and one day they just stop biting. What, what do you think you could do about that? Uh, we'll have a good cry first. <laughs> um, and um, it would depend on the kind of fish. Um, you know, are they more visual or are they using, like catfish where they taste a lot, you know, something really stinky, maybe use a different kind of scent. Yeah, I, mean, um, I would imagine for, in this case they're talking about visual eaters. Yeah, and in that case you just got to, I would imagine, use something co- pretty different from what, at least looks different from what you've been using. Now, is it possible that fish would just be afraid of almost all food and would just eat minimally and, and become smaller fish over time? Well, I had, I had, is that strong? If the pressure was that strong, well, that'd have to be pretty strong to get fish to just stop. That'd have to take a really, really long time. Probably not in one person's lifetime, right. for sure. Well, not to anthropomorphize uh-huh. too much, but let's go back to your cupcake yeah. example. <laughs> what if okay. every 10th cupcake, or let's say every 100th cupcake you ate, you got punched in the face? I'd right? still eat cupcakes. You would still eat cupcakes, right? Mm-hmm. What if, and, and, uh, and, and uh, oh, that wrecked my example. All right. <laughs> 
That was a good example until we tried that cupcake. Uh, what, what? Oh, no. How many cupcakes would it have to be out of 100 before you stopped eating cupcakes? Or, oh, man. Or what if it was today it's a cupcake, tomorrow it's a cheeseburger, the next day it's a salad, and you don't know what food item is going to hit you in the face. But sometime you know something you eat today is going to hit you in the face. Do you see, avoid, start avoiding eating or eating less? You know, I really don't see them avoiding eating or eating less. It would be, I think it would be specific. So it had to be like, so I, I know cupcakes are going to hurt me. So I'm mm-hmm. cupcakes. Yeah, I think it would be more specific than just, I'll just stop eating altogether because, the, you know, the fish want to survive. So they are going to eat. They just might change. Uh, their dietary preferences. Yeah. And and let's say you gave an area a uh, a relief from fishing for a certain amount of time. I mean, mm-hmm. is, is there value there? So let's say you shut down a fishery for, for a year's time. Oh, absolutely. Do you think all that learning goes away? Not all of it. Um, it would depend on the lifespan of the fish and generation time, you know, yeah. um, that kind of thing. Too many but. variables, right, to just answer that as an easy answer. No, it's, that's the thing about talking to scientists. It, it depends. <laughs> that's, that's always my answer. Always answer. It always depends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but the, recommend, the, the takeaway from this article is if fishing gets difficult where it used to be easy, do something different. <laughs> Simple. Yep. Yep. I love it. There you go. There, there's your easy answer. <laughs> I like it. That's, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, boiling it down. All right. And this is from the next article here from New York Times. And my computer is going wonky on me. Uh-oh. I know. Let's see if I can pull this up. All right, this is actually in today's New York Times. All right. I know, we're right up to date here. Uh, Taking down dams and letting the fish flow is the title. This is by Murray Carpenter, mm-hmm. New York Times. You, you'll be a fish writer for the New York Times. That's insane. <laughs> All right, this is out of Bangor, Maine. Uh, this, is, this is close to home for us and actually impacts a lot of our friends. Uh, so Joseph uh, Zidwelski, and I'm going to call him uh, to get him on the show. A researcher biologist with the Maine, uh, I just lost my page here. A research biologist with the Maine Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Research Unit of the United States Geological Survey drifted in a boat on the Penobscot River listening to a crackling radio receiver. The staccato clicks told him that one of the shad that his team had outfitted with a transmitter was swimming somewhere below. Shad, alewives, and blueback herring and other migratory fish once were plentiful in the Penobscot. 7,000 shad and 100 barrels of alewives were taken at one haul at a, at, of the scene in May 1827, according to one historian. Wow. So, yeah, three, <laughs> and New England's full of dams, by the way. We, we are heavy with dams. Uh, three enormous dams erected on the Penobscot starting in the 1830s changed all that, preventing the migratory fish from reaching their breeding grounds. Mm-hmm. And the populations just collapse after that. Um, kind of a little history of shad and herring and stuff is they're not river specific like salmon. Right. So it, even though your local population will crash, the fish themselves will find a different place to spawn. Mm-hmm. Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases. So it's, it's not as devastating as for the salmon. Um, now all of a sudden you are pulling the, oh sorry, but two of the dams were raised in 2012 and 13. And since mm-hmm. then, the fish have been rushing back in the Penobscot River. So what raise means knocked down, um, for those who don't know. Now, all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, they're pulling the cork plug and giving the shad access to a truckload of good habitat. Nearly 8,000 shad have swum upstream this year, and that's not just shad. 
uh, more than 500 Atlantic salmon have made the trip, along with nearly 2 million alewives and countless baby eels, thousands of mature sea lamprey, and dozens of white perch and sea rum brook trout. Striped bass are feeding on uh, a dozen miles above Bangor in waters close to them for more than 100 years. So this is really cool. Um, so this is the trend in dams now. We're starting to see more and more dams yes. taken out. Um, and we love it. Out in Washington State and in California, there's been a lot of dam removals. And scientists are always – this is me talking now. Um, scientists are always surprised how fast the fish return. Uh, in a lot of the conversation, uh, and I'll post a link to this whole article on, on thefishners.com. A lot mm-hmm. of the conversation goes into like the sediment behind the dam is holding so much back. How does that impact the migratory fish? Mm-hmm. It, turns out, it turns out it doesn't take long for the fish to figure it out and get upstream and, and spawn. So it's really cool to see them come back. Have you um, done any, read any work on dam removal? Um, I have not, but some of my colleagues have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, I think that the, the standard view, at least for me personally, is uh, if the question is, should we remove the dam, the answer should be yes. Always, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and there's exceptions because, you know, dam removal, especially if it's for a big reservoir or something like that, that has a lot of implications for cities and towns downstream. So, you know, that has to definitely be taken in. But is it good for the environment? Um, yeah, uh, but there is some sediments that, especially if it's a reservoir that's been there for a long time, those sediments have some nasty stuff in it. Well, yeah, your mercury can be huge. Mm-hmm. Things. I, 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 having worked at a, at a fish ladder, I'm uh, very familiar with dams and what piles up behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, <laughs> but it, and the amount of work it is and how hard it is to engineer a fish ladder that fish will actually use. Yes. Uh, it, they're amazingly specific on what they need. And each species wants a different flow rate and different kinds of things. So taking the dams out uh, is overall seems like a good idea. Now, we got a phone, uh, phone call. We got a, a, a message from Richard Yvonne, who lives in Bangor. And, okay. And he is a fishing guide from Twin Maple Outdoors, friend of mine. And mm-hmm. he, I'm going to read what he wrote. And this actually prompts me. I'm going to call, uh, I'll call, um, the damn people from next week's show and actually interview them and get them on the show. Those damn people. Those damn people. <laughs> uh, but Richard Sorry. says, uh, he says, damn it, Clay. Uh, this is a great, <laughs> this is a great idea that came to be a reality. Please make sure you ask how they intend to address the invasive species like pike and, and offshore overfishing. Uh, I would love mm-hmm. to know what the plans are for these problematic issues. So it's a good point. So you've got dams. And upstream mm-hmm. the dams, we've, in, we've, we've invested in putting new fish in the water, especially, as you know, in New England, we had no fish. <laughs> and we right. added all these <laughs> populations in. We take the dam out, and now fish have access to different bodies of water and different downstream passages. How's that impact? We, we don't think about all this stuff. Uh, and he says, I'll, he goes on to say, I would love to know what the plans are. For, okay. Uh, they have invested millions of dollars in this project, and I hope it's a success. I do not see it happening with these obstacles. So he's kind of not so sure about it. The okay. Belgrades and St. John's River have been ruined by invasive species. That's a real problem. It looks like they are considering the predators in the lower half. What I have seen is pike coming from the Pusha stream making its way up the river as well. They ask people to kill the pike, but that alone will not prevent the mm. fish from propagating and eating everything. So his concern is you're, 
by taking the dams out, you're removing the obstacles from invasives. That's a fair, fair point. And I, oh, absolutely. I will follow up uh, with this story uh, on next week's show. I'll call up uh, these damn people who keep trying to make things <laughs> so much damn better all the time and find out find out their answer. Because I haven't, I never thought about um, invasive species when it comes to dam removal and how that impacts things. Oh yeah, well yeah, that's a, and that's a good one. Um, a carp out here are a big one. Uh, the Asian carp. So when we remove these dams, the the Asian carp can get up even further. And so that's a huge consideration. And there's not a good answer. Uh, I'll, I would be interested to know what the dam people think. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will follow up on that and find out. So anyway, that's fish in the news. Uh, and, All right. And we need to wrap this up because my battery has got about one minute left on it. Uh oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We would like to thank our friends and families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. If you would like to support fish nerds, you can go to patreon.com and search for fish nerds and help us crowdfund this podcast. Uh, special thanks to uh, Jackson Grammar School for letting me come uh, sampling with them. And, of course, big thanks to you, Doc Martin. Uh, tell us again where Always we can a find pleasure. you on Twitter. At FishDocM. Mm-hmm. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early and often. And avoid free watch of the strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. Perfect. All right, perfect. That was really good. Excellent. Hey, thanks, Doc, for coming on. I-